Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking movies, TV, comics, and more. Join in the conversation on our social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome back for another edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What is going on, everybody? My name is Ken M. Thank you for joining us this week. Joining me in the studio, as always, you know him. He is the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. Folks, we have a lot to talk about in the land of movies, TV, comics, and more. So join in that conversation on social media. You can find all our accounts and so much more on OchoDuroParleyHour.com. Join in on Facebook. Join in on Twitter. Join in on Instagram. And remember, use the hashtag ODPH. So let us kick off talking about our favorite show right now. Mm -hmm. Dare I say, is it right now? Can we officially say that? Yeah, I'd I'd say so, at least for me. It's one of mine, but I definitely think for representing the ODPH, it has to be our favorite show right now, and that is Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm -hmm. Going through the final season, we have been giving you the play-by-play thus far of how those agents have returned and are stumbling through time, pulling off their best Legends of Tomorrow uh, imitation, Mm -hmm. in my opinion now. And this past week's episode is proof of that. Oh, yeah. So we are going to be talking spoilers about Episode 7 of Season 7. So if you haven't watched, you know the deal. We say pause the episode right here, watch the episode, and then jump back in because we are going to be talking spoilers in three Two, one, you know how we kicked this off. Pad, what did you think? I thought it was a really funny episode. I thought it was awesome. Just all the callbacks to the 80s, including Short Circuit, uh, among many other things. Overall, awesome and fun episode. This was the closest I've seen them go to Legends of Tomorrow Uh in the entire season thus far. We know we've been recapping about how they've jumped around in time, and it's going through the 1930s, and now they're working their way back up to present time. At least that's the way I'm reading this. Yeah. That they have been really selective about the decades they've hit. So they've gone through the 30s. They've gone through the 50s. They've gone to the 70s. Now they went to the 80s, and this was a complete fun episode Mm -hmm. mocking everything playfully, though. Oh, yeah. Not insulting. No. But mocking everything that is the 1980s to the letter when it comes to movies, when it comes to pop culture. It had so much going on, and it was just a fun episode. Like that's, oh, yeah. the, that's the one thing you have to take away, that not every episode needs to be so serious. And this was proof that you could pull it off. It's still a great episode, and it picks up right where the team left off. So a little break in the action, but one that was well-deserved. Because like I said, we jump right in to 1982, where Mac has been recovering mentally from uh, a lot of stuff that's been going on. Oh, yeah. Uh, reliving the death of his parents. Yeah. Uh, dealing with a lot. Yeah, dealing with a lot. So he has been more or less iso- isolated from Deke, who's stuck in the t- in the past with him. The rest of the team yeah. still working their way back through time. And we really saw, I want to say, a lot of the comedic timing between Henry Simmons, who plays Mac, mm-hmm. and Jeff Ward, who plays Deke. Now, oh, yeah. Now, Jeff Ward has been playing this kind of role since the character of Deke has joined the, the show, yeah. we haven't really seen Mac play this much comedy up per se. No. Because once they get rolling, that Mac is in his depression and Deke has been eventually working on him to become social again and get over everything that's going on. Because obviously, like I said, dealing with the trauma of, of losing his parents to the Chronicoms mm-hmm. and now they're stuck in the past and just there's been so much emotion going on that there has never been yeah. a break for it. No. That now that we finally are, are settled into, I, I want to say a break in time, but 
I mean, time travel is so weird to define anyway. Well, I mean, for the, at least for them, it's a break because, as we remember from last week's episode, uh, they got left behind in the 1980s. And we find out in this episode uh, that what it's like a year goes by. Yes. Or something like that. So, for, at least for them, it's a break that it's a chance to slow down, process everything, and, and also at the same time, figure out how the hell you're going to get back to everybody. Yes, because right now the team is lost in space. No mm-hmm. pun intended, but yeah. it's it's true. It's a weird... It's a weird time right now to try to figure out, okay, what's everybody else doing? Mm-hmm. But this one solely focuses on Deke and Mac, and Deke convinces Mac to join the real world again. And Well, he, after he proverbial, uh, you know, kind of pulls some teeth. Yeah, it was not exactly a, hey, let's do it, and then like, okay. No, this was definitely a drawn-out moment. Oh, yeah. But the payoff, though. Oh, my God. I was crying laughing about uh-huh. this. Because we get to see the Deke. During this time, apparently has set up a, a, a band. Yeah, because 80s, why not? Yes, and complete 80s amazingness, if I can use that term, the Deke Squad uh-huh. is playing songs that we know are not exactly written by Deke. Nope. And I'm assuming he's pulling off what he did. So shout out to uh, Back to the Future. Yeah, he, he's definitely going back to the future. He's doing what he did uh, last season, too, where yep. he was ahead of his own tech company because he was stealing shield tech and using his knowledge from the future to mm-hmm. make it in present time. It, time travel, folks, it's weird, but it's fun when it's pulled off right, and yeah. this one definitely was. Because yeah. once you start hearing him going, don't you forget, forget about, about me. me. I was like, oh, Christ. I was dying. I, I, my first, Well, I was started laughing, and I was like, well, of course he's doing this. Oh, yeah, you knew it's he was. Deke. You knew he was going to do something. And, and like I said, Jeff Ward hammed it up so much. Mm-hmm. Like, it was incredible. Like, I remember I was live tweeting with Dre, and we're just going back and forth. And you jumped in, too. We're like, what the hell are we watching? Mm-hmm. Like, this is incredible. Oh, yeah. And during this entire time, though, we figure, like, okay, Deke's up to something. And we do find out that his band apparently is Shield of the 1980s, mm-hmm. Asterix. Yeah. Which is kind of a weird thing. Yeah. But Deke has been secretly building S.H.I.E.L.D. back up because obviously from the fallout from the damage that happened in the 70s, we really don't know what the status of S.H.I.E.L.D. right now. No, we don't. And I can't help but wonder, you know, he calls them S.H.I.E.L.D. agents, but I get the feeling knowing Deke that they weren't S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. They were just a couple of people who, you know, he was singing it because a year goes by. Mm -hmm. A lot of time. I imagine he he started out his musical career uh, as just singing karaoke. Oh, yeah. He got a couple roadies. To follow along with him <laughs> from bar to bar, uh, and those roadies are like, "Hey, why don't we play instruments with you?" And then it turned in, "Oh, hey, I need I need some help on uh, some other stuff." Yeah, it, which makes perfect sense. Like, I the don't character I Deke. don't fully believe that Deke stumbled across '80s Shield agents just coincidentally, and it all worked itself. No, I fully believe. Like headcanon is that he just found people and they just went with it because '80s. The only thing I could think of is maybe just maybe Enoch is lurking somewhere mm-hmm. or he plant like uh I want to say like being preemptive sure. to saying if you see this man in the future mm. you need to go find him and make sure that he is maybe. under watch like I could see something like maybe. that because I know Enoch is back with the team and such and but I'm just saying I'm not doubting that Enoch was smart enough to do something like that because like you say Deke has this uncanny ability mm-hmm. to have people drawn to him and follow him. 
like I said, when he did this, his whole like uh, homage to Google. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And he had people like literally falling in, in line with him. Like I don't know if that's like some weird power that you can do persuasion. Maybe it's something. Hey, it's possible. We don't know. Yeah. I mean, God, could you just imagine if he was like he wanted to be in like the version of Star Fox? That'd be really crazy. Not not the video game one, right, but the, right, Marvel, right, the right. Marvel character. Yeah. Like that. If I uncovered something, I'm gonna be marking out about this on. Uh, social media but anyway getting back to the story though so as at this time though we're seeing that deke is introducing mac to his team colson has survived the explosion yep. that happened in the 70s and he is pulling off his best max hedrum mm-hmm. where his consciousness has been uploaded to a hard drive slightly better version of the uh what was it baron zemo from yes. Winter Soldier. Yes. Slightly better version because, hey, you can make out his face in this one. Yes. This was, like I said, complete 80s. And if you know the uh-huh. character Max Hedrum, it was just another footnote to that. And yep. to see that Coulson was back and basically guiding Deke to, to some degree and getting Mac to fall back and fold, it was a really cool moment. It was, yeah. it was, a, it was another good throwback to the 80s. Uh-huh. But it also is a good counterbalance to how the Chronicoms invaded the 80s. And that is how Sybil uh-huh. decided to hack into a mainframe to, uh, to basically persuade a computer programmer to build a robot body yeah, so that she could come back. And that and, robot... And, and I almost get the feeling like she seduced him a little bit in this. Yeah, there we're, was we're, a weird... Because at first it was like... Because like when he first discovers there's something up with the computer he's you know tasked with working on, because that's part of his job, fixing computers... It's one of those things, like, at the start, it's like, what the heck is going on here? And, and and it cuts to either commercial or after another scene, and it comes back. And it's almost like he's falling over himself ready to do anything for her. Yeah, it's a weird story they were doing. But then again, if you think about the 80s, yeah, it falls in line. Like, the movie yeah. Weird Science. You sure. Say, I mean, I know we're comparing apples to oranges, but still it's produce. You can see, like, certain things like that, and he is being, you know... I'm sure the character is just so isolated by himself Mm -hmm. that any kind of companionship he's just gravitating for. Yeah, could be. So this one, you see that he builds his best short-circuit Johnny Five, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like, version, and Sybil winds up taking that over and kills him after he's built, or after she is built. It's perfectly setting up for an 80s horror movie, Mm -hmm. which I loved about this Mm -hmm. episode. And it was, we see that she's now working on other Chronicoms to build her, I guess you could call it a small army, yeah. a small task force, something to take out S.H.I.E.L.D., uh-huh. and yet they run into Mac and Deke and the S.H.I.E.L.D. of the 80s, I guess. Yep. Like, I don't know how exactly we wanted to find it, but since Sybil is used, knowing exactly what's going on with the future, like she's already a step ahead of them, and to get Mac to fall back into the fold, and I, I was completely dying at the 80s montage oh my God. to get him back into shape where he's shaving the yeah. beard off yeah. and he gets into the suit and they yeah. have the shotgun axe, which I marked out. Mm-hmm. Not going to lie. Anytime that thing comes on screen, I mark out. It is such a badass weapon. I remember, oh, yeah. I remember actually tweeting to the Sci-Fi has a show called The Great Debate on yeah. Thursday nights at 11. Actually live tweeting with Sci-Fi and they were saying about what's the best weapon in all of uh, comic media. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, lightsaber's cool, but you have to give an honorable mention to the shotgun axe. Mm-hmm. And they're That's like, very true. we can't argue that. And I'm like, you can't because that thing is badass personified. So now we see that Sybil's task force, I don't want to call them an army because I don't think it's. I'll say like four machines don't make an army. Right. 
But she winds up making an invasion to where the S.H.I.E.L.D. headquarters is. Mm Mm-hmm. And this goes completely horror movie style. Uh, yeah, it, uh, it was kind of modeled and based off of the movie cult classic Chopping Mall uh, from what was released in 1986. And the only reason I know this was an article floated across my, my way uh, in the past week since the episode aired. The director of Chopping Mall was not happy. Really? Uh-huh. So this article from Screen Rant, uh, Jim Wynorski, director of the cult classic Chopping Mall, did definitely didn't appreciate the homage to his movie found in the most recent episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. The sci-fi horror film was released in 1986, and while it didn't perform well financially or critically, it has developed a cult following in the years since. Chopping Mall... Chopping Mall follows a group of friends who get trapped in a mall after hours when it goes on lockdown and triggers its state-of-the-art security system, which features high-tech robots and the soon that soon embark on a killing spree. In addition to dr- directing, uh, directing Wanorowski wrote the script for Chopping Mall along with Steve Mitchell. Uh, yeah, he basically wrote a letter and was like, yeah, not happy with this. You could have called me and we could have worked on He goes uh, one of, on, a, on his Facebook page, uh, quote, what I'm saying here is this. If you wanted to do a riff on Chopping Mall, why not at least inform me, perhaps even let me direct the episode? As a fan of Marvel Comics and movies, I want your company to succeed, but not when the people char- in charge attempt to entertain by overtly plagiarizing other people's creative hard work. Okay. What a stick in the mud. Yeah. All right. Let's break this down. The plot of his movie is it triggers the state-of-the-art security mm-hmm. robots yep. to become violent and serial killers. Mm-hmm. Okay. This one is robots attacking S.H.I.E.L.D. agents of already a preset storyline and i'll admit i've never seen chopping mall i've never either i hadn't heard about it until i saw like i said i saw a tweet that was all oh, director of a, of a cult classic film as mad at agents of shield and like and i was like why so i read into it and i'll be honest i thought the robots were a short circuit yeah know? me too you know I, thought, I was like oh my god short circuit awesome homage yeah, no, I absolutely thought it was short circuit. They were combining so many elements of the '80s horror, mm-hmm. uh, including that, the ludicrous amount of blood. Oh my god! Holy Christ! The first murder victim inside the Shield base. That was like that uh, one scene towards the end of Carrie. Oh my god! Yeah, you just see the blood fly everywhere, and it was so, it was so over the top. You was, couldn't help but laugh. Yeah, and I, and I realize I'm no medical doctor, but that seemed like way more blood than the human body can hold. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I thought they killed about five people by the way that it, thing was shooting and gushing. Because it splattered all over the wall, and it was the wall was basically covered, and then it was pooling on the floor and spreading all over the place. I'm like, that's a lot. It was a lot, but it just goes over to the excess of the 80s. Yeah. And that's how I say they tied in so many different Easter eggs that I actually I dispute the director of Chopping Mall's mm. claim. Yeah. I don't see how you can say, you can say there's a comparison, but... I, you, you're saying they were borrowing so much. I'd say you could say they were plagiarizing short circuit to a degree, mm-hmm. but I think they did it more of as an homage because you already had the Chronicoms were robots and they're going back through time or whatever they are. You could you can literally say that. Mm-hmm. So how are you saying that there was elements borrowed? Maybe I mean you you can stretch an argument, yeah. but I don't think I don't, in my opinion I humbly disagree. So oh, yeah. I guess I'll just leave it at that because as you see when the Chronicom force is going through. The Lighthouse, mm-hmm. which I have to remember, it's the Lighthouse. Yes. It does not have that feel to it. No. But it, it just it's just how it is in the 80s. 
you see that they're going and they killed Deke's drummer. Yeah. And they're doing it just like very, I don't want to say graphically, but it's so yeah. it's so 1980s in its principles. Yeah. It's cinematography. No, absolutely. You know, where you got the group running together and trying to stop it. And then inevitably you come to a point in the story where somebody steps up and plays the hero and goes, no, you keep running. I'm going to stop it. Yeah. And then they get shredded apart. Yeah. It's it's absolutely hysterical, but it's, it's so to the 80s. It's perfect. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing you have to love about this episode, that even when people were getting killed, like you you had to be sitting there laughing because of how excessive Mm -hmm. it was. But you have to remember, and how they're shooting these episodes in the different time periods, they're really trying to pay attention to how movies were at this time in television. And and they're doing a very respectable job, in my opinion. And I got to give them a lot of credit. You know, they keep going back to the lighthouse. It's the same set, but they're they're shooting it and lighting the set in such a way that it doesn't feel like the same set. Right. It, it feels very different because, obviously, time change. Mm-hmm. But they're doing such a good job of setting it up that, yeah, it has that different feel to it, but you have to just remember the episode you're watching and, like, where they are. And we see the over-the-top action sequences, and, like, you touched upon, don't worry, I'll step up and handle this. Mm-hmm. And you're just seeing the excess of the 80s making S.H.I.E.L.D. It was perfect. The S.H.I.E.L.D. team winds up reluctantly, and I do say reluctantly because they – in theory, the Chronicoms, I really question how much of a of villains they are if they yeah. cannot handle this ragtag team of S.H.I.E.L.D. agents that are completely in over their heads. Mm-hmm. Completely. Hilariously. Oh, it's, it's amazing. But like I say, they're just thrown together. But then again, this is most 1980s action movies mm-hmm. that you're seeing random people thrown together and suddenly they're a massive fighting force. Maybe this was a precursor to Fast and the Furious. Mm. I'll throw that out there. Could be. Everyone knows my opinion, too, of of that franchise. But we'll keep going, though, because now Mac and company decide to take out the Chronicoms. They, I, I shouldn't say they decide to. They have to. Mm-hmm. They wind up pulling off, saving the day, destroying the robots, they think. But one does escape with a piece of hardware. Mm-hmm. Pat, what does he take? He takes the time stream. Yeah. And what goes on with this? Nothing good. Yeah, yeah, usually not. No, because he winds up taking off and meeting up with one Nathaniel Malik, mm-hmm. who now has Sybil with him as well, like a variation because obviously Sybil robot was right, destroyed right, right. in this. Right. So now you are setting up your big bads for the season, and it's very interesting that a time error is created your big bad because I think everybody was expecting Wolford Malik to be the big bad going into this. Mm. But no, it, it turns out to be Nathaniel, who was technically wiped off the board pretty much early in, in years past. At least, well, at least that's what we thought. We thought, but now, and that's the way it, at least it's setting up now, that he's going to be there and maybe his successors after him is going to be the ones to fight in the future. Say as a man once said, surprise, motherfucker. Yeah, exactly. And during this time, though, as the bad guys are getting set up, the Zephyr finally shows up, mm-hmm. and you see that Yo-Yo and May grab Deke and Mac and reunite the team, and they're all catching up. Okay, what's the plan now? Mm-hmm. So overall, though, this was a perfect episode giving homage to the 80s. I can't stress it enough. If you like 80s action movies... And how cheesy they are. Because let's face it. Oh, yeah. You, you, yeah. you can't say they're not. No. With bad one-liners, montages, everything yeah. that that you, that you can say is good, bad. Long hair. Yeah, you have that here. Oh, the long hair. Uh, dare I say uh, cover band doing songs. 
Yeah. Because I still can't get over the Deke squad. Yeah. And uh, what is it? Like ballad songs, like just in the middle of a movie for no goddamn reason. Yeah. Like it's not even like a training montage or like a love scene. Love scene. It's just like, hey, they're driving down the road. All right, let's put in a ballad here. Yeah. It was just perfect. It was everything that it needed to be because for the breakneck speed they've been going, that this was a nice little detour, a nice little fun episode. And I can't stress enough. It was just fun. And for S.H.I.E.L.D. to do this, especially their last season, they've known to be so super serious. Uh-huh. This wasn't as, I don't want to say campy, but season one was a little campy. It, it was a little campy because, let's face it, in terms of plot, not much got done yeah. in terms of moving the plot forward. But it was still fun. Right. So this episode, though, definitely was a little fun break. Where they're going to next is anybody's guess. Uh-huh. But we did get a little teasers that they're going to be going back to the Inhuman storyline. Yeah. Which is messy. never, it's messy, it's never good. So now they're working their way through seasons two and three. Well, eventually setting up for three. I'm wondering if we're going to see Agent Ward at some point. Oh, I would love that. I know we haven't heard anything oh, yet. I would, you know, as, as nasty and mean as that character was, I still like the actor. Oh, yeah. He, he, Brett he was, Dalton. Yeah. Brett Dalton was awesome. I would love to see him appear at least one more time. I'm just thinking with where they're going with the storyline to kind of give a little spoiler. But then again, hey, we gave you warnings. We're talking spoilers. The fact that they're going back to the origin of the Inhumans, at least on the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. timeline, uh-huh. you have to wonder if Ward's going to be lurking around. Because maybe. eventually what happens after this storyline and his character, you have to think that maybe he's due to come back in some way. I would imagine that they have to uh-huh. with how he's tied in with his team. I know that the way that he was written off the show is perfect, but the last season, anything is possible. And plus the one thing that the agents don't realize they're doing. And this was another idea that I had come across my mind. If they're resetting the timeline, Uh that means that certain characters aren't getting killed off as they were. Isn't it kind of, well, they're before Endgame here, at least in their story. Isn't it all kind of a moot point? It is. (laughs) It it, it truly is because Endgame is going to wipe everything away. Per se, we think, but who knows at this stage? Like I say, they're doing their best Legends of Tomorrow impersonation, mm-hmm. and this episode is like the prime example of it. Yeah, that they went back through. Obviously, did a little time messing around. Who knows the ramifications of this one? Because people yeah. are, people are going to remember. Because all of a sudden, if Deke was the one building this team, and now he's gone, who takes over? That's very true. And if it's Shield, and didn't then, half of them get killed anyway, though? Yeah, half of them did, but somebody's going to remember. Yeah, that's what I say. I mean, yeah. the Deke squad with the with the massive hit. Yeah, that's true. Like I say, there's so many possibilities they're going to, and especially going into next week's episode or tonight's episode, actually, as we're yeah. going to be recording. But to the which, next episode, which, uh, the tonight's episode, which is titled "After Before." Yeah, and like I say, they're going to get back to the storyline at hand, and if the Inhumans are involved, it could be absolutely crazy. So yeah, I can't wait to see that. Final thoughts on the episode before we close out? Great episode. A lot of fun. I And I got to say, I do appreciate the title of uh, this episode, which was The Totally Excellent Adventures of Mac and the D. You can't go wrong with it. It's a must-watch episode if you just want something fun to break everything up you've been seeing social media-wise and comic book-wise. I think it did a great job with yeah. that. So hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPH. What was your thoughts about this past week's episode of S.H.I.E.L.D.? And I have to give a quick plug because this weekend – I'm actually going to be appearing on the East Coast Avengers YouTube page, Talking Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So we're going to be doing a little recap action with those guys. So shout out to Dom and JT and the rest of the East Coast Avengers. Definitely keep your ears out for that and your eyes, too, on social media. So we're definitely posting about that. But we're going to take a quick break here. We'll be right back. 
Greetings, henchmen and loyal subjects. I am Evan the Great. And I'm JVD. We're your hosts of the Fictional Battle Podcast, Crossover Collision, brought to you by the Villains Demand. If you love hearing in-depth breakdowns of your favorite characters and what they are capable of doing while fighting in random battlegrounds against other fan favorites, then this is the podcast for you. New episodes drop every Friday wherever you listen to your favorite podcast or over on thebuildsman.com. This is Rich, the host of the Three Fat Nerds podcast and co-host of the Horror Zone 607 podcast. And you are listening to our hashtag 607 podcast brothers, the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. Now kick it back over to Ken Moneybags and the crew. Coming back for segment number two on this edition of the ODPH podcast. And if we are talking favorite shows, one of mine right now. I know Pat has not jumped on yet, nope. but you need to start watching Stargirl, the breakout hit of the summer on the DC Universe and CW. We know the next season is going to be strictly CW. Not sure what the fate of the show is going to be with that, but if what they're putting out right now is any indication, season two is going to be something to watch. And I cannot stress enough of how surprisingly great the show has been. And this one might have been the strongest episode of the season thus far. Okay. It, I, I argue it's up there with the Icicle episode, which I believe was episode three, if oh. I'm not mistaken. But, the, yes, it was. This is a show that definitely is hitting all cylinders right now. And with 13 episodes in the first season, we are going to be talking episode nine. And I'm going to give you a spoiler warning right now. If you have not seen the episode, you want to pause Watch the episode. Jump back in the conversation because we're going to start talking spoilers in three, two, one. So what did I think? I think I already teased it enough. I thought this might have been one of the best episodes they've done thus far. And where they've been jumping in is Courtney has been forming the JSA. Breck Bassinger has been doing a stellar job playing Courtney Whitmore, and she's been recruiting her friends, and they're reforming the JSA to stop the Injustice Society. But they've been really excellent about building up characters and explaining powers and explaining why they do what they do, which I I have to really applaud how the show has done this because if you're not familiar with the Justice Society of America, it will throw you for a little loop. Okay. And this one is really explaining characters, and we now are starting to break down the character of Brainwave that earlier in the season was put into a coma on the first mission of Stargirl and Stripe. So this is where we jump in and, dare I say, we get a lot of backstory. That We find out that the original Brainwave, when he first came to fruition with his powers, actually wound up killing a carjacker that was trying to kill him. And how it kind of impacts him. And you see that he is just starting to videotape his progress. And he's starting to say, okay, what is going on with my powers? And how am I doing this? And where am I growing? Christopher Baker, who plays Henry Sr., does an excellent job of just seeing that with great power, sometimes it doesn't come great responsibility, right? but comes great uncertainty. And that's the way I really took this in the episode, that you see him slowly developing. And he's now seeing, okay, I can do all this stuff with my mind. What is happening to me? And you're seeing him slowly break down, Mm. which is a scary thing, but it also adds a little more depth to the character because that is one thing that with him, you saw early in the season, well, he's just bad for bad reasons. You never really saw the development, but now you can kind of tell that his powers are slowly warping him and really making him into somebody that he, I don't know if he necessarily wants to become, but he is becoming. Mm -hmm. And how Jake Walker, Henry Jr., is seeing this, to see how his dad 
ultimately handles his powers, mm-hmm. it's definitely having an effect on him. And you see that throughout this episode, they do go a little back and forth about how Henry Jr. is really trying to comprehend what his dad was going through. Mm-hmm. And his dad ultimately just has this humanity is not good. Right. Humanity, I can hear everybody's thoughts, and they're all evil. They're all disgusting. They're all just vile beings, and how he just cannot handle being associated with them. It, mm-hmm. It's like a weird development of the character, but you just see how rapidly it grows because now that his powers are just expanding, and he can do telepathy, he can do telekinesis, he's really growing into something else. And just to see how he's looking at the world now mm. is kind of very shaded, very dark, and he's definitely disenchanted with them and disenchanted with humanity. And it's, okay. just, it's just something that, as a supervillain, you really think about, but you don't think about. Uh-huh. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because mostly it's just, okay, they want to take over the world, they have powers, but this is just giving a little more depth to the character. And like I said, I thought the the acting about this was great. And especially for Henry Jr. to go in and he's seeing all the video and, uh-huh. and then he's applying it too when he goes to the hospital to see his dad. And he's seeing the orderly comes in and he can hear the orderly say like, oh, I just wish he'd die already. Uh-huh. There's something in that variation. Sure, and sure, sure. And you're seeing everybody come in and just how Henry is understanding what his dad was going through because he's hearing all these awful people until Courtney comes in because Courtney's underlying story this entire episode is well henry has powers i think we can recruit him Mm. now this does not fly with the team yolanda has got history in fact that's how her backstory of how she was disgraced by henry okay she's not about this rick who is our man does not want anything to do with him this is where the team is pushed to the side and Courtney thinks that she's doing the right thing and this is where her inexperience is now coming out this is probably the only part I I, I did not really love about the episode mm-hmm. but I thought it was very cliche but I'm not mad about it sure because like I say you have to understand the hero at this point is very young and very naive she is thinking well just everybody will just want to team up and do good and that doesn't always happen because with with people with powers they have to make their own decisions of what character they want to be and what person they want to be for Henry Jr., he's leaning more to his dad's side because he's seeing firsthand what his dad was talking about. Right. And I know Courtney was trying to really convey the story to him and say, you know, what to use your powers in this way is wrong. You should help take down the Injustice Society, mm-hmm. not be one of them. And he forces Courtney to leave. Yeah. And, not, I mean, he just see the room start shaking, but he's yeah, like, just yeah, yeah, leave yeah. me alone. And during this, Courtney has to go back home to deal with Pat and deal with uh, the family because she's now, I'm not saying she's she's causing some friction with her team, but you're definitely seeing that a young team is not all on the same page. Sure. And Pat is trying to give the rest of the team assignment, assignment to investigate the Injustice Society. And what he thinks is their ties to Blue Valley are not exactly what they seem. Right. And during this... They do come across that there is a bunch of underground tunnels Okay. that the ISA has been using to work in silence, which I thought was a very cool nod. Yeah. It was something very, very interesting because we finally get a little more development about what their whole plan has been all along because we see Icicle meets up with Dragon King, which not really sure what is going on there because Dragon King comes down. 
the rest of the ISA is not exactly welcoming him. Sure. There's a little bit of mm, tension, I guess, to put it mildly. But Dragon King says, we don't need the original brainwave. I know his son has powers. Mm. We can use him for the plan. The plan is finally unveiled, Pad. Uh-huh. Project New America. What do you think it is? Uh, something nefarious, I would guess, that they obviously New America, they have a view that they don't like what they see. They're, they're not happy with it, and we can do it better. Mm-hmm. We, we can make things better. They're going to be using Brainwave, whether it's senior or junior, okay, to send a signal out to brainwash or mind control millions. Hmm. And they're testing it out over, I want to say it was six states, hey. six or eight, because they have a satellite they're working on right, right, right. covertly. And this is the plan to basically say, you're going to be under our control. We will re- reset everything. We'll make everything right. It, it's almost, I want to say it's almost like to a degree when the heroes just have a uh, governing rule, almost like how the boys is mm-hmm. the show. Yeah. Just, yeah, yeah. The, just the heroes run rampant and they have total control. It kind of is like that for this, where the, the ultimate plan just, it is a brilliant plan oh, yeah. for, for a storyline. And I love how they did the slow burn, but they finally unveiled everything. And it makes sense to what Icicle has been building up the entire time. It really is setting up for a big showdown later because during this whole time, the JSA is really trying to figure out what is going on. They know that they're going in this very shorthanded. And there was a very cool reference uh-huh. to another team in DC Comics history because Pat starts breaking down when they start talking about the Dragon Lord. Uh-huh. Or the Dragon King, rather. I always want to say Dragon Lord. I don't know why. That you really start finding out that the original team that stopped the Injustice Society was the Seven Soldiers of Victory. And this is a very, very Golden Age team. I'll say it doesn't, can't say it rings a bell. No, it, it definitely doesn't unless you really know your DC Comics history, but they had the original Vigilante on it. They actually had an original Green Arrow at one point, okay. Star Spangled Kid. This is something, if you really know your DC history, you know who they are. And I love the throwback to it. But they also mentioned about the Shining Knight, who we have already seen uh-huh. in the show, that he is the janitor that we're assuming, if it's anything like the comic, he has amnesia, he doesn't remember. And he does have this weird delusion that he's holding his mop, and it turns into the cosmic rod that Stargirl uses. Right. So it's it's a very interesting how they try portraying it, but it's also... You know, something else that you don't know if it's a delusion or not. And like I say, it is very interesting to see the throwback to this team. Because unless you really know your DC history, because the pictures they showed, you probably wouldn't. But there is the Green Arrow. I'm not going to say Stephen Amell is coming on the show. I don't want right. anybody hitting me up already about that. But you do see that there is some something that does look like Green Arrow on the show. And obviously, during this time, too... When the when we're talking about the golden age, it's a lot of different characters throughout history yeah. of DC. So if you know your DC history, you definitely want to go check it out. But to see that throwback, I was like, okay, this is really interesting, and I'm excited to see where this is going to go because Pat is essentially trying to reach out and get some of those guys back into the fold for the JSA and to help them because mm. he knows something bad is happening if the Dragon King is here and wants to 
you know, utilize something to take over. Like something's not right in Blue Valley, and the Dragon King's involved, and the, his history that they all thought he was dead. But if he's still alive, something is definitely not right. So I thought that was a really cool throwback. Like I said, there were so many good elements about this that I thought one area of this show that I'm still debating about how I feel about this, but they had a family dinner. Like I said, I was alluding to when when Courtney went back after she she, uh, walked away from Henry Jr., she gets home and Barbara is making dinner for company. Okay. Who is that? Icicle and his family. Oh, my. So this becomes the uh, very awkward moment that you have Neil Jackson, who plays Icicle, coming in, and he's just trying to be as as sly as he can be. And you know he's there for an alter, er, ulterior motive. You mm, know yeah. it. He can't exactly say what he's doing, but he's there. You see him come in with, I, I want to say, I believe that's his grandparents, they come in and, and they're all speaking um, a different language, so they can't be picked up with what they're saying. Mm-hmm. They come with uh, Cameron, who is um, Icicle's son, and obviously they're setting up for like the Romeo Julia thing with Courtney. At least that's the vibe I'm getting because he's right, right, right. asking her to dance and such. So during this, when they're having the family dinner, Icicle makes a very rare mistake. Okay. Courtney comes over to the table and she's bringing a hot plate she has gloves on her hands and as she's going to pass it something like she gets distracted and icicle grabs it barehanded tipping her off to saying wait 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 that's a hot plate that just came right out of the oven right 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 how are you grabbing it and you're just holding it like nothing's happening nobody else is picking up on it yeah so the minute she sees this she goes immediately back into the kitchen grabs pat and says i think he's icicle and explains what happened. So Pat is in there trying to go like, okay, what are we going to do? What are we going to do now? And it's a little fun back and forth. Like I said, Luke Wilson's dynamic with Breck Bassinger has been on point. It's it's very – the chemistry there is very good mm-hmm. you know, for the father-daughter role. And it, like I say, they were just vibing back and forth. It was a really fun moment about this. And then when Icicle's family breaks away, he even kind of teases, like, Courtney, you do know why I'm here, right? And I was immediately going, oh, he's going to say, like, I came to scout you. I know you're Stargirl. He's like, no, I just want to meet the girl that my son keeps talking about. Hmm. Oh, I'm so impressed. And, like, basically he says, like, you guys are allowed to date. Like, it, it was kind of like a little curveball sure. he was throwing, but I don't think he realizes he got caught. So as they go away, uh, Pat and Courtney go to the basement, and they're having a discussion. They get the cosmic staff out, and who comes down the stairs but Barbara? So now the big secret is out that Stargirl is Courtney. What's going to happen there, we don't know. But that was not the big cliffhanger of this episode. Because as the rest of the JSA really didn't have a lot to do this episode, we did see Wildcat confront Henry Jr. at the hospital. Mm. And she's in full garb, and she is threatening him and saying, you stay the hell away from Courtney, you stay away from everybody and he is still, I think he starts picking up that's Yolanda. And she makes her escape. But during this time, there is an there is an attorney that comes in. And he's trying to get Henry Jr. to sign off on a do not resuscitate for his dad. And during this, he can hear the lawyer in his head saying, I really need him to sign this. I really need the money. So he's faking this. Uh. What does Henry Jr. do? He winds up causing an aneurysm and killing him. 
So at this stage, you're like, whoa, okay, he's now accepted his villain uh, stature here. No, because all of a sudden you hear a voice go, what's going on? Henry Sr. wakes up. End episode. How good is that? That sounds crazy. It was absolutely wild. Like I say, the back and forth that was going on with Brainwave, I love the origin of this. Uh, you understand his motives. Like like I say, Stargirl has done such a good job explaining every character that's going to be a major factor in the show. Mm-hmm. And for what the time they've taken away to really establish Brainwave finally now, because at first, I don't want to say he was a throwaway character, but you were like, okay, well, I know he's bad. He's part of the Injustice Society. What else is there? I thought the way this came about, I was completely impressed with, and I could not talk more highly about it. Like I say, Christopher Baker, who plays Henry Sr., a.k.a. Brainwave Number 1, was really selling the point of just being corrupted by his powers. Henry Jr. has really stepped up, played by Jake Walker, and is now going to be following in his father's footsteps because for all the the discord they've had in their relationship – Henry still wants that approval. He's going out of his way to do this. Cindy, who is Shiv in the show, Meg DeLacy, was almost like written off for right now, that she's now being confined in a cell such like Solomon Grundy because her dad, the Dragon Lord, wants to make sure that – or the Dragon King. I keep saying that. Wants to make sure that she's following orders. So I don't know. She's like the ultimate wild card in this situation. But to see the character development – a brainwaves, plural, was a really strong point in this episode. I love it that they ex- finally explained what New America is going to be and how that's a completely old school comic <laughs> plot. Because mm. you think about it, I mean, how many times does that happen in current comics these days? Probably not many. I mean, it, it does happen here and there, but to see just how the like the modern retro vibe of the show has been has been phenomenal, and to see where they're going next episode. That now Barbara finds out about Courtney. We think, or how are they going to explain a floating staff? Mm. This is all the questions we're going to need to answer for next week. But I am telling you what, Pad. I really am strongly telling you, man, you got to start jumping on the show. It's definitely worth the while. The writing has been on point. The acting has been good. It has that old school feel to it that I, you don't see too much on superhero shows. If you're a DC Comics diehard, you're going to love all the Easter eggs thrown in this. And like I say, four more episodes they got to finish out season one. It's anybody's guess where the story goes, what other characters we're going to see. I know it's a lot of people online are asking about Green Lantern. I don't think we're going to see them this season. No. I don't think so. But I'm not doubting next season you will see Alan Scott. I'm just going to throw that out there. And who knows, if Stephen Amell winds up showing up as Green Arrow for the the Secret Seven or the Secret Soldiers there. Eh, doubt it. He's uh, dead. <laughs> you think on Earth 1 he is, Earth 2, no, not sure. wait and see. But definitely hit us up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPH. What was your thoughts about this past week's Stargirl episode? Definitely wanted to hear your reaction about this. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Greetings and salutations. This is Cage's Kiss, the ultimate Cage cast, where we discuss the movies and life of the national treasure, Nick Cage. There are three of us here, and I can't help but notice that none of us are Nicolas Cage. Did nobody call him? What? A Cage cast with no Nick Cage? No, instead of being Nicolas Cage, we're three Nicolas Cage experts, which is the next best thing. I don't think we should admit to being experts. Too late. 
We are not experts at anything. We are not life coaches, and we are not in any way, shape, or form qualified to give you suggestions on life choices. But Nick Cage is, and he's made hundreds of life choices. Seriously, I cannot stress enough just how much you should not take our advice. But we're experts. No, seriously, we're not experts. Yes, but we will be reviewing his first acting gig as Nicholas Coppola, Best of Times, which features a young and very precious Crispin Glover. And his work in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. And his work in My Nightmares. We're experts! Hi, this is Tyler from Second Suitor, and you're listening to the ODPH Podcast. I want you to get it. I want you to understand. I'm doing Coming back for the third segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast. Last segment, we were talking Stargirl and how they're doing Easter eggs about the seven soldiers and saying Secret Warriors, Secret Seven. There's so many team names, and now we're coming upon to, well, uh, I'll say this, one of the biggest franchises... Mm-hmm. In all of comics, it yeah. has so many different team variations. You can go through the decades of the comics yeah. to really try figuring out, is it extreme? Is it astonishing? Is it uncanny? But we are talking a celebration of a birthday, per se. Yeah. Because this franchise debuted 20 years ago at yeah. the box office. Mm-hmm. And, Pad, what is that franchise? Uh, that would be the X-Men film franchise. Yes. 20 years ago, X-Men debuted. So, Pat, why don't you give us a little rundown of the franchise? Yeah, so, of course, uh, the first film was X-Men, which released in 2000 to very critical acclaim. Uh, after that came X-2, which was released in 2003, just as much, maybe a little bit more critical acclaim. Uh, then you had kind of, I guess you could call it the dark times. Yeah. Uh, after that came X-Men The Last Stand, uh, which came out in 2006. Yeah. Uh, not so well received. Uh, and then you had, in 2009, was X-Men Origins Wolverine, which even less critical acclaim yeah well that was also due to the writer's strike too i think yeah, a lot to do with be. that but uh, after that you had a bit of a i guess you could say a renaissance a rebirth uh because in 2011 you had x-men first class which of course we all remember was kind of the prequel reboot retelling we, at the time we weren't quite sure what the hell was going on we just knew you know you weren't going to see patrick stewart you weren't going to see ian mckellen you weren't going to see hugh jackman well i mean you still saw hugh jackman but just not in the way you know him uh, in the film, and it was kind of like an all-new story told when they were first forming. Uh, after that was uh, the better of the, probably what should have been the original first off of the Wolverine solo films uh, to 2013's The Wolverine, which, got to say, great movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, after that was 2014, the kind of meshing in the story I don't think we ever thought we'd see on the big screen, X-Men, Days of Future Past. Oh, the classic. Uh-huh. Uh, and then after that, you had... Probably the biggest box office hit they've ever had, uh, 2016's Deadpool. Yes. Yep. Uh, After that was uh, X-Men Apocalypse, which also came out in 2016. Uh, Then you had Logan come out in 2017. Quite possibly, I would say, one of, if not the best comic book movie of all time. Uh, And then in 2018, you had Deadpool 2. And then most recently, and unfortunately, you had Dark Phoenix come out in 2019. So looking back at the legacy that is the X-Men movie franchise, mm-hmm. to think about this when this movie came out, remember, Spider-Man 1 with Tobey Maguire... Was probably still filming. Yeah. So this was the first time Marvel 
had really made a huge splash at the box office, would you say? I yeah, I would say so just because they they had their Blade films, or they were about to. Were they about to come out? The Blade films were lurking about that time. Okay. Right? We're gonna check this as we're talking. So during this time period, we have to remember Marvel was coming out of a very bad time in the nineties. Yeah, where they almost had to shut down. <laughs> I mean, yeah. a lot of bad comic books, a lot of well-known, uh, dare I say, business decisions that did not pan out. Yeah. So to see where the X Men franchise was, and we have to remember at this time period at the comic shops. It was the biggest franchise on the planet. Yeah. Like, if you literally put an X in front of anything, it would sell. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think at one point they had, what, 15 monthly books? Like, it's something Something crazy, crazy like that. Like I say, when I get confused talking about the DC JSA books, like I say, Seven Soldiers, you know, Dragon King, Dragon Lord, yeah. you want to try keeping track mm-hmm. of the X-Men books? Yeah. And how crazy that got at one yeah. point. I mean, well, and, and especially just looking at, it, dug it up. Uh, Blade One had come out in 1998. Blade Two was two years away uh, when X Men originally released. But you just kind of look at where comic book movies were. Okay, mm-hmm. Blade One came out, critical success. Uh, Batman uh, was in a bit of a lull. Uh, Batman and Robin released in 1997, and you wouldn't see another live action. Uh, Batman release because obviously they had animated stuff come out. You wouldn't see another Batman uh, live action release for another five years when X-Men originally came out. Uh, You look at Superman. uh, Superman hadn't seen anything uh, live action since 1987. Yeah. So it had been a hot minute since then. And Superman wouldn't return to the big screen in live action form until uh, 2006. And then you just look at some of the other, there really wasn't, you know, Spider-Man was on the horizon. It, it was still at least a year or two away. I forget when exactly it came out. A two or two. You know, and that was kind of it. There, You know, Marvel Studios wasn't a thing. Iron Man wasn't a thing. The MCU wasn't a thing. So it was kind of just, you know, Blade and, and X-Men and Spider-Man once it came on the horizon. And plus, too, for a lot of mainstream fans, they didn't associate Blade in the MCU. No. So this was a totally different property. So for the X Men, like I say, for being the number one comic franchise mm-hmm. in, on the on the shelf, and like I say, you can go through the history of the X Men in the '90s. I mean, we're yeah. talking when Chris Claremont and Jim Lee took it over and rebooted. They did X Men One, and was one of the. It might still be like one of the best selling comics of all time. Like I'm not sure if it is the best right now, but doing the variant covers and just when Jim Lee's run was there, and then when the image. Uh, comics formed and all the artists left like him and Rob Liefeld it was just like a time that the X-Men really still kept going and were still producing books and eventually they still were carrying that through even with like a reboot like throughout the years the X-Men have kind of gone in in peaks and valleys I want to say they went into peaks during this time period so everybody was really excited about hearing about an X-Men movie holy shit Uh, yeah no X-Men number one in 1991 is still the number one selling comic book issue of all time, and it's not even fucking close. Uh, they sold, uh, according to a quick Google search I did uh, to Statista.com, uh, best-selling American single-issue comic books of all time in the United States as of July 2019. Uh, X-Men number one in 1991 sold 8,186,500 uh, issues. 
Number two is Star Wars number one, which came out in 2015 and sold uh, just over one million copies. So, yeah, no, X- X-Men number one is still number one. See, I always kind of forget about that, too, because I know when Star Wars got the reboot, it, yeah. it definitely was doing books. And plus, I always, for some reason, mm-hmm. think The Walking Dead number one is somewhere mm-hmm. in that vicinity. Uh, according to this list, I'm looking at, they, what is this, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Walking Dead doesn't even crack the top ten. See, because for me, it just is like, what is the biggest one that crossed over into mainstream? So, but, just to run down the list in case anyone's curious. Yeah, uh, actually, I am now. Uh, X-Men number one is number one, and Star Wars number one is number two. Uh, number three is Fantastic Four issue number 60 from 2002, uh, with 752,000 plus issues sold. Uh, after that, for number four is Batman the Ten Cent Adventure number one. Uh, from 2002, which sold just over 702,000 issues. Uh, after that is uh, Free Comic Book Day Edition Ultimate Spider-Man number one from 2002. Uh, then you've got Amazing Spider-Man number one from 2014. Uh, Secret Wars number one from 2015. Amazing Spider-Man number 583 from 2009. Detective Comics 1000 from 2019. And then Action Comics 1000 from 2018. Definitely a big list right there, but like I say, for the moment that X Men came out, like I knew it was selling out. Like you couldn't go to a comic shop in town, mm-hmm. no matter where you were, and there were people were grabbing that left and right because at the time too, they were doing four variant covers that you put together for one piece. Sure, sure, sure. And it's Jim Lee's artworks. I mean, how can't go wrong with it that? It was amazing. And then they finally did a, a fifth edition that was a gatefold cover that was the whole piece all together for you. Mm. So to see that, obviously, where the impact was with the X-Men and to see how many books they had coming out at one point, mm-hmm. and literally, you could throw X in the title, and it would sell. Like, they had Extreme X-Men. Mm. I mean, I know that's later down the road. Sure. But still, at that time period when this movie was in, in the idea to get created... Fans wanted to see it because these characters were so popular. Well, and even you look at the animated uh, cartoon series that was on Fox in the you know mid '90s, and just you know anyone who know hears that song theme song knows what it is. Yeah. Oh, it's and, so- and I and I would argue as much as I love Batman the animated series, and for me, Batman the animated series is like the pinnacle of comic book cartoons. Mm-hmm. You got to give X Men the animated series its its credit because I'm rewatching it on Disney Plus because I didn't see a lot of the episodes. They went balls to the wall early. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The X-Men series, they really wanted to set a precedent. In fact, they're the only media that has gotten the Dark Phoenix saga right. Yeah. It took five episodes, but guess what? It worked. Note to the Hollywood if you ever try doing the sh- the story again. But please I digress. Don't. Yeah, please don't. We, we've, we've seen enough. You can't do it. It's okay. It's okay. But to see when this movie was getting casted and everybody was super excited to see Patrick Stewart was casted. I mean, the perfect fan casting as Charles mm-hmm. Xavier. Oh, yeah. Ian McKellen as Magneto. Yeah. Famke Jansen was a relative unknown at that time. Yeah. And to see her cast as Jean Grey. But the biggest surprise, which not too many people remember, is when Hugh Jackman was casted as Wolverine. Mm-hmm. Because do you remember the whole story behind that? I can't say I do. I was relatively young, and I will admit I didn't see the movie in theater. I think I saw it on VHS or something. Here's a little fun fact for you. Doug Gray Scott was originally supposed to be cast as Wolverine. Okay. And passed on it to do Mission Impossible. Okay. That year. So they took the next candidate, which was Hugh Jackman. Mm. Look how crazy things have gotten since. I'll you, say it, it's it's almost in similar type, type scenario. Will Smith has very uh, famously said he passed on doing the Matrix for Wild Wild West. Yeah. 
So you think about the roles and how things would have shifted. Mm-hmm. But Hugh Jackman is now shot to superstardom. Yeah, oh yeah. This. And for what the movie was in 2000, it's not the worst film ever. I'll say, and if you if you haven't seen it, if you're relatively young and you haven't seen it, and you go to watch it, if you're comparing it up against some of the stuff that's come out today, it's hokey. It's dated. The story's not all that great. But for its time, it was awesome. Oh, yeah, for its time. The only thing that still never holds up is Storm's line <laughs> to Toad. I'm sorry. Do you, know, do you know what happens when lightning strikes a frog? Yeah. Oh, oh Lord have mercy. Still bad. But even Halle Berry as Storm was another fan yeah. casting. This had good. so much wind to it, directed by Brian Singer. And it really gave you a good taste of the whole X universe. Mm-hmm. Not a whole lot of story development per se. I mean, obviously, they were mixing a lot of different elements going on, but sure. it gave you enough that when it debuted, you were pretty happy with it, I got to say. Oh, I, yeah. I remember hearing too many people complaining about it. Sure, and, and as someone who was more familiar with the cartoon than the comic, you know, it, to me, watching it on VHS, because like I said, never saw it in theaters, was too young and didn't know it was a thing. It felt very similar to some of the stuff you saw in X-Men, the cartoon, mm-hmm. where it it very easily felt like, obviously, costumes being different and what have you. It felt like the, it could have been the origin story of that whole team. It could have been a prequel to the animated series. Right. But it definitely did a good job to get the ball rolling. Obviously, in 2003, they did do X2, X-Men yeah. United, borrowed heavily from a lot of ideas from the graphic novel uh, God Loves Man Kills. Yeah, yeah. Which is a very classic X-Men story. At, at that point, possibly one of the best cliffhanger endings in film history at that point. Absolutely. You know, you get to the end scene with the lake and, and the cameras flying over it and you just see the silhouetted phoenix, which at the time had no idea what the hell that was. I go, what, what the hell is that? And then somebody told me, I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah, no, it was a big deal. So, And that movie really set a precedent for comic sequels. Mm-hmm. Not saying it's it's up there with Empire Strikes Back, but for comic book movies, right. it still holds up to yeah, this day. Yeah, no, absolutely. It still does. Then, unfortunately, there was a little director switch. Brian Singer left the franchise. Brett Ratner took over X3, The Last Stand. We're not going to spend any time on this one. It's awful. It's definitely not. I'll say in case you're not familiar, Brian Singer left the film to go direct direct Superman Returns. So, Mm. eh. Yeah, so Brett Ratner really tried mixing it up a little bit. They tried doing their version of the Dark Phoenix saga. It did not work. I Uh, remember being excited for this movie just because I remember seeing uh, ads on TV. And I went with some friends to see it. And at the time, you know, youth is ignorance. At the time, I thought this was great. Yeah. I was like, oh, this is a great movie. And then I rewatched it a couple of years later. And I was like, this is terrible. Yeah, no, it's definitely a step down. And- I, I would say for me about the only good thing about that movie is this scene at the end where they're in San Francisco and Magneto's moved the bridge. And you've got, what is it, like the old five X-Men remaining or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and they're standing in front of uh, the Brotherhood. And these soldiers are behind them. And they all jump in there and... Wolverine looks at the soldiers and he goes, cover the door. And he just looks at the X-Men and goes, hold this line. Yeah. And just the cinematography in that scene and and Hugh Jackman's performance in that scene is just probably the lone good part of that movie. That's the only saving grace of it, to be honest with you. Like, I really just skip over it. Mm -hmm. I I don't even acknowledge it. For me, it ended at X2 and I'm okay with that. And then we took a little break from the franchise. Yep. And dare I say it was a very extended break. Yeah. uh, Three years. Yes. Which, considering how the franchise was, mm-hmm. 
it is very telling of just how impactful this was. Yeah. Because, like I said, X-Men, actually, it's five years. X-Men, The Last Stand came out in 2006, mm-hmm. and then they finally got X-Men First Class in 2011. Well, then you but you had Origins Wolverine. Ah, uh, that's true. Yeah, you count this. You're counting this. Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm just going I off. Stand, the, I stand corrected I'll on say, that I'm one. going off the Wikipedia page for X-Men film series. Yes. And then we had X-Men Origins because, at this point, Hugh Jackman's Wolverine was one of the most popular characters in Hollywood. Yeah. People were dying to see an, yeah. uh, an actual solo movie. Yeah. Um, the writer strike, I think, really impacted this one to the yeah. worst worst possible degree. Yeah, I mean, I got a funny story with this one. I remember when this movie was getting ready to come out, and I was kind of excited for this because I thought this was if this movie did well, it was going to lead to a whole bunch of origin movies for all of the other main X Men. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, this would be awesome to see, you know, an origin movie for Beast and, and Nightcrawler and and Cyclops and whatever. I was like, oh, this that'd be cool. And just for whatever reason, I never got around to seeing it. You know, too busy, not enough time, whatever it was. Flash forward a couple years to 2013, and we'll get to it in a minute, when the Wolverine was getting ready to come out, I texted you Mm -hmm. because I hadn't seen X-Men Origins Wolverine yet. I was getting ready to go see the Wolverine with a friend the next day, and and Origins Wolverine just happened to be on FX, and I texted you, I go, listen, haven't seen Origins, going to see the Wolverine tomorrow, do I need to see Origins to get the Wolverine? And you're like, yeah, probably not, but it might not hurt. And I was like, okay. And I went in halfway through the movie just because television at that time. And I remember texting you within probably 20 minutes going, what the fuck am I watching? Yeah. It's bad. It is bad. Like, they tried doing a lot that just didn't have any fluidity to it. No. The And even Ryan Reynolds as Deadpool, which a lot of people were excited to see. Yeah. Uh, definitely fell apart at the end. Yeah, and I and I remember texting you because it, it was one of those weird instances where they replayed it immediately after it finished. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, let me watch up to the point where I came in and maybe this will make slightly more sense. And I told you, though, and I got to that point, I'm like, this makes even less sense. No, it definitely was all over the place. The script was bad. Even, like, Hugh Jackman was trying to do his best to save it. I'll say the video game was not any better. Yeah, the video game was not as good. I mean, like I say, it even had good casting, too. Like I said, Leif Schreiber was was Sabretooth again. Uh, or for, they rebooted. So there was a lot of stuff that should have gone in its favor, and it just failed, and it yeah. is what it is. But it, at least it didn't deter the franchise too badly because, like no. I say, in 2011 we did get – a definite step in the right direction, mm-hmm. albeit it's a reboot. So a lot of fans were kind of like, I don't know what to think of it. But X Men First Class, yep. dr- directed by Matt Vaughn. Yep. We had a whole new team. James McAvoy took over the role of Charles Xavier. Michael Fassbender took over Magneto, and we had a whole different lineup. Not a bunch of familiar faces. No. So this one was a nice little throwback. I mean, obviously set in the '60s. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was definitely something to see when this was coming about. But it, it was nice to see, just because you look at how the last two films had performed and been received. Last Stand and Wolverine. Okay, gotta change the direction on this somehow, and they did, and it worked very well for them. You know, First Class, you know, still holds up. It's still a very good movie. Yeah, it definitely still does, and it does enough that. Even in the time period, like I said, it had the 60s, 70s vibe to it, mm-hmm. which, like I say, they didn't really kind of explain. But for the team that was there, it was the complete reboot. You definitely did see a lot of new faces. And it really got you excited about the franchise again, mm-hmm. which I thought was excellent. Yeah. So then we fast forward, though, to what I will say is arguably my favorite of all the X-Men movies. Mm-hmm. X-Men Days of Future Past. That's a great one. And it be is one of the most classic storylines mm-hmm. of all 
comic books. It might be it's up there in discussion for Marvel, absolutely for their best stories. And absolutely, it, and it jumps all over the place, but they tie in the previous franchise to this one, which was great to see. Yo, it, they needed to as as awful as you know X Men Three was, and 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 with some of the issues you had with the original three movies, it was cool to see those characters on and those actors and actresses on screen again. Oh, absolutely. Because, because without those characters, you wouldn't have had first class. Yeah. And you wouldn't have had anything that followed. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it's crazy to see that Hugh Jackman can span that time and it's, to see him come back, too. Because, mm-hmm. like I say, the reception he got for uh, Wolverine Origins, not good. Yeah. And fans wanted to see him come back and definitely retell the story of traveling back in time to prevent what causes a Sentinel-run future mm-hmm. for mutants and to see how many mutants they they factored into the movie. And still, we didn't even get the Rogue cut until no. years later. No. Which I, I love that version. That Yeah. In fact, I can't remember if it was uh, Tyler from 30 and Nerdy that mentioned on social media. It's not on Disney+. Plus. No, it's not. Yeah, I'm very sad by that. But no. I, have my, I have my hard copy, so that's what I watch. I want to say uh, Hugh Jackman's bare backside is on uh, Disney+. Plus. Yeah, a lot of people talking about that one. Including Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> yes. Well. I will say, tying into Days of Future Past, so you had Wolverine come out uh, the year before. Updated list for the X-Men franchise. Best cliffhanger ending of all time where he's walking through the airport uh, at the end of the f- at the end of the film, coming back from Japan, and all of time just stops. Yeah. And, and in, the, in the theater, I'm watching this going the hell is happening why did everybody stop and then you just see charles xavier you know uh patrick stewart who we all thought was dead Mm. you know don't ever think we got a full explanation how he came back but hey don't care don't care you know he comes rolling in with magneto and i remember being in the theater and the theater just collectively losing their minds and screaming oh yeah i i remember doing that i was like oh we're going here because to get wolverine back and like i said he had the sequel movie the wolverine Mm mm-hmm and Great movie. It holds up. Even the ending, it goes a little off sure. the, the yeah. tracks. So yeah. I will say that. Yeah. But overall, I mean, it holds up. It ties into a lot of his original comic series, mm-hmm. taking a little different elements here and there, and, and his history of being over in Japan. I loved it. Like, I thought it was yeah. great. Like I said, the ending yeah. could have been a lot better, but the cliffhanger made up for it. So yeah, oh yeah. I'm, I'm not as mad about yeah, it. Yeah, no, no. Years later, but then we, we get Days of Future Past, like I say. And anytime you'll always hear me on this podcast talk about when Hollywood respects the story mm-hmm. that they're borrowing from, oh yeah, it comes off so much better. Like we talk about Captain America: The Winter Soldier, mm-hmm. it's almost page for page with the comic. Oh yeah, Days of Future Past borrows so much from the comic, even with a little bit here twist here and there. Sure, sure, it still resonates. It still translates why the story makes sense, and it's great. And to see where it goes, like, everybody was so amped up about this. Even when we start getting the cliffhanger about they're setting up for Apocalypse Mm -hmm. at the end, which... At the time, real excited. Oh, at the time it was. It was like, okay, we were really jumping around timelines. Yeah. That's the one thing about this reboot of the X-Men franchise is instead of being set in modern time, we were working our way through decades. Yeah. Which... At the time, I didn't mind. Like, this no. is future past. You can do whatever you want in timeline because it still it still works. Yeah. But when they start jumping around, especially when they get to X-Men Apocalypse, uh-huh. it definitely doesn't come across that well. No. Definitely doesn't. 2016's film, Brian Singer is, is filming it. it. You think it should be a hit. It's Apocalypse. Everybody knows him. And, Pad, what's your take on that? Um, real excited for the movie. 
was not entire. Oh, put it to you this way: wasn't let down like I was with Dark Phoenix, mm-hmm. but was a little let down. I felt it left a little be to little to be desired in terms of the story, just because if having gone being in the middle of going through the animated series on Disney Plus, they make Apocalypse into this badass that just like kicks the door in and takes names and doesn't care who you are. Mm-hmm. I didn't get that same feeling with how they wrote him into the film. Yeah, you know, I ju- I just feel like maybe they didn't fully get the character, or they just it, they just didn't write it quite right to come across the screen because he didn't necessarily feel like this all powerful, you know, ancient being who was just looking to wreck house and take names. He just felt like, oh, hey, I'm here, time to do things. Yeah, it definitely didn't resonate, and especially with the cast too. Like I say, we had Jennifer Lawrence as Mystique, mm-hmm. who was never really an X Men before, and is always one of those very. Polarizing, I don't think is the right word, but very captivating character yeah. in the comics that, yeah. that has a definite strong opinion from fans. To see how she was supposed to be really pushing the team here as well, too, it just didn't click like for whatever reason. I don't know if it got overshadowed because Deadpool came out that year. Mm, maybe. And I think that maybe it was. like I think that how the, the bar was set with Deadpool and Ryan Reynolds retconning everything, following the comics of the, of the origin of the character and really carving its own path to where its popularity is right now. Because people have to remember, Deadpool was popular but didn't really explode till right. really later in years. Well, and I think the thing you got to remember, because you brought up, you know, uh, Mystique being really f- prominently featured in the film despite not being a major member of the cast. Remember who was playing her, Jennifer Lawrence, which she was in the midst of the Hunger Games films, which right. may not... I've read the books and seen the movies. Very good books, very good movies. Very well uh, popular at the box office. So she was a major star at that point and was definitely, you know, folks who might not be X-Men film uh, fans, but they're Jennifer Lawrence fan fans going, oh, Jennifer Lawrence is in that movie? I'll go see that movie. Yeah, it was definitely it was a, a good casting at the time. Yeah. Especially how they picked their characters, too, because we have to remember, I mean, there wasn't... Jean Grey came on, mm-hmm. but other than that, I mean, did you really have a lot of the original lineup? You didn't have no, Rogue. No you Rogue. Didn't, you didn't really have Wolverine except for Days of Future Past, but that's why that movie right. worked. Yeah. Cyclops wasn't there at the time. No. At least not to... The, yeah, he, 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 he wasn't there for Days of Future he Past. He wasn't Days for Days of Future Past. He was there, he there for, for Apocalypse. Apocalypse. Yeah, uh, Storm was an Apocalypse. Yeah. They they really have kind of been meshing the teams. Like I say, it's very hard to keep track yeah. of. And yeah. especially, they didn't really follow any of the storylines with Apocalypse. No. There was a lot of material they can use. Yeah. They just didn't, which... They're just like, hey, we're going to use the character and make our own story. Yeah, and anytime they try doing, you know, the Four Horsemen and, you know, who they tried recruiting to there to... Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. like I say, it, it's so hit or miss that you just have to go, all right, we'll chalk up the loss and keep it moving. And then, you know, recently Deadpool has taken off to mm. new heights. Yeah. I mean, the sequel was well-received, too. Yeah. And unfortunately, though, the X-Men are kind of uh, still leaving a bad taste in everybody's mouth from Dark Phoenix. Well, and then they had Logan, which was very well-received. Oh, well, Logan, too. I, you know, I always struggle to remember that that's part of the franchise mm-hmm. because Logan transcended the franchise, yeah. in my opinion. Like, yeah. it, it's held up as a, as a standalone movie. Mm-hmm. Like, 2017, that was as perfect of a story that you can do, do an old man Logan essentially, mm-hmm. but you really flipped it because remember at the time Marvel didn't have the rights to really do old man Logan. Correct. And if they only did, how yeah. epic would that be? Yeah. But James Mangold did an amazing job. Hugh Jackman, Patrick Stewart did their swan song to Patrick the Patrick Stewart should have gotten a goddamn Oscar for that movie. He should have gotten nominated. 
Like, I don't think he did, but... This, no, he didn't. This movie should have got no. it because this was a perfect send-off of where Old Man Logan was. It borrowed so much from the comic, but they did do their twists. Yeah. Because if you've ever read the comic, which I highly recommend, there is too many characters they did not have uh, yeah. control of at the time. Yeah. And no matter, like, what wheel and deal... I mean, I remember hearing so many different rumors, like, they were almost going to pull it off, and they just never did. This story still holds up. The movie still holds up. Widely regarded as the best X Men film of the franchise. Yeah, I, but you know what? Like I say, I don't group it there. Sure. Just because I think team when I think X Men. I just remember this movie came out and I glowing about it, and all the you know all the reviews were glowing about it. I had a couple people come up to me and go, "Listen, haven't seen an X Men movie in a hot minute. Am I going to be able to see Logan?" without having seen anything else and understand i go yes i go do you know who well, i had somebody ask me i was like i'm not really a big comic book movie fan but i keep hearing good things about logan i want to go see it you know well i understand it i go do you know who wolverine is yeah do you know who uh professor x is yeah you're good i was like that's all you need to know yeah that is truly a fact that's all you really need because logan is so standalone that you don't need all the back history. If you know who Wolverine is just by visuals, yeah, you're good. Yeah, and they did such an amazing job with that film. Like I say, mm-hmm. I can't stress enough. And like I say, I do mix up a lot of times thinking that it's part of the X Men franchise because it's so standalone. Yeah, that it's just like it doesn't click. And and obviously coming off that high of a success for Logan, like I said, 2017, and then we get our, you know the Deadpool sequel. So like they're riding high. We get to 2019. We get to Dark Phoenix. We have a whole episode dedicated to it, so I don't even want to spend any time. I don't want to give myself a migraine. Yeah, I don't either. So now it's bad. Yeah, it's bad. And the only last remaining film that's slated, maybe sometime down the road, we don't know, is New Mutants to, Mm -hmm. to close off this franchise. Yep. So, Pad. So let's just say in closing, what are your top three films? Okay. And where do you see the franchise going now? It's under the Disney banner. Sure. So top three films. Number one, I have to put Logan. Uh, it is, in my opinion, the best film of the franchise. And it is one of the, if not the best, comic book movie of all time. Uh, it, just if you know the character, if you know anything about the X-Men, you watch that movie. It is goddamn near perfect. You know, mm-hmm. can't think of anything. Fully agree. Can't think of anything immediately that would detract from it and make it a bad movie. But it's pretty goddamn near perfect. Uh, after that, I would have to say Days of Future Past is number two, just because having grown up at a time when I was very ignorant and didn't read a lot of comics, mm-hmm. you know, but I knew who the X Men were. It was cool, and, and being a fan of more of a fan of the younger cast and the newer cast, seeing them bring the two together and kind of like it's almost like what I want them to do with the Spider Man franchise. Even if it's not a full movie, have a scene where you have Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield, and uh, Tom Holland all on screen together. Just, you know, as a fan service moment, like, just for a scene. But we got that for a full movie. It was awesome to see. It was very cool. It was very gripping. Uh, And then I would have to say, number three for me, probably Deadpool, the original one. Just because the whole process of that that movie, when the footage leaked online at like three in the morning, mm-hmm. and I'm like, what the hell is this? And just the process of there to what's happening to trailer and just the absolute hilarity that you can you can pop it in at any point. If you're having a bad day, throw it in your Blu-ray player, your DVD player, and watch it. You're going to be in a great mood. For me, and I, I take Logan out of this because, like I say, I don't really associate 
the standalone movies mm-hmm. with the franchise. So I so just take that in, in consideration. But I do I think Logan is the best one they've done. Yeah. Number one for me though is Days of Future Past. Okay. Huge fan of the comic. When I heard about this and saw the trailers, I was blown away. I was like, we are going to get this, and it's going to get done right. The movie lived up to the hype. Tied in the two franchises perfectly, mm-hmm. ended perfectly. Even the bonus scene at the end, I remember leaving the theater like, okay, we're finally getting it together. But the performance is a huge jackman. And, you know, like I say, the mix of the old school and the new school, mm-hmm. just top to bottom, you couldn't do a better film. Could not. No. Number two is X2 X United. That's a see for me. That's probably number four. Yeah, but for this, like I say, I go based off the comics. Sure, sure, and, sure. And just like I say, it's it's heavily influenced by God Loves Man Kills, which is a graphic novel. It was a standalone story um, in the eighties there, and it's it still holds up. And yeah, and how this franchise went from the first movie, like remember we had. Uh, Alan Cummings playing Nightcrawler. Oh yeah, that people forget about. And how he, I totally forget about that. Yeah. yeah, everybody forgets about him and and where they go and just to see the origin of partially the origin of Wolverine too yeah. and just how they tie in everything with Striker. It it goes to show that if you can borrow heavily from a comic and translate it on screen, people will accept it. People will mm-hmm. enjoy it. People will get it. Yeah, and they don't even have to be comic fans to get it. No, like that's the wild thing about it. So for me. I was completely blown away by it at the time, and like I say, it still holds up. And my number three is X-Men First Class. Okay. That when they reset the franchise, I didn't know what to expect. And for being in the 1960s, I was like, okay, how is this going to work? And you translate your team and and go. But I I remember the castings, too. Like we've touched upon, I mean, James McAvoy, Michael Fassbender, yeah, uh, you know, Jessica Lawrence too. I mean, there the list goes on and on, yeah, of who was involved. And like I say, it still holds up to rebooting the franchise in the direction they were going in. Mm. I I have to say, I, I thought it was very excellent. I was very happy with it. Yeah, and where it ultimately wound up is setting a new excitement for the franchise that. At the time, we weren't really sure what was going to come back from X3, The Last Stand. Yeah, and, and I mean, say what you will about the X-Men films, you know, good, bad, or otherwise. If the first one and the first, well, first two hadn't done as well as they did, I don't think we would have seen, you know, I think we, we still would have seen the, the MCU films. I don't think we would have seen them unite as they did. Yeah. Because sure, you had Spider-Man do well. Sure, Batman had done well and Superman had done well and Blade had done well, but it wasn't until 2000 when X-Men came out that you had all of these characters come together and unite on screen that I think you finally saw the instance of this can work. Absolutely. If X-Men, the first film 20 years ago, didn't work, I think it would have struggled to really develop into where we are with comic book movies. Spider-Man would have done well. Yeah, no, Spider-Man, yeah. Because I don't think that would have failed. No, because either with it was going to be James Cameron eventually was trying to get the rights at one point. I know that I mean that was tied up in production mm-hmm. purgatory, and to see where Sam Raimi went with the franchise and and it was perfect to come out, yeah. the, you know, to really establish him yeah. on the big screen. The X Men really showed that you could pull a team book off. You can really get the fan base to go, and you can excite mainstream fans into watching your film. Mm-hmm. And it is a precedent for the MCU. We have to establish that. Oh yeah, because if that doesn't happen. I don't know if Marvel gets Iron Man off the ground. I'm I, probably not. It's debatable. I think they would have avoided Iron Man and would have done Captain America, just because he's more well known. 
Well, yeah, because at the time, I mean, Iron Man was a B superhero. Yeah. Like, he was not a major player in yeah. the MCU. Yeah. I mean, you could say with the Avengers, he was. He, sure. he, well, always, yeah. has, he yeah. always has been, but for his own solo stuff. Right, but if we're talking a, a, a timeline where the MCU doesn't happen, the Avengers films don't happen, and Marvel is just strictly looking at doing solo films and just their own films, if they're not establishing anything, I don't, th- I don't think they do Iron Man. I think they start off with... They might start off with either Incredible Hulk, just because people know him, or um, Captain America. I'll even make a bold statement. I don't even think you get off the ground. Maybe not. I really think Spider-Man would have done well because of Spider-Man. Oh, yeah. Everybody connects with him. Everybody. Like, the franchise has always been great. Like, yeah. Not not saying just the movies, but anything you've plugged them in, whether it's TV, whether it's cartoons, whether Spider-Man just is the face of Marvel Comics. It would have been fine, no matter what. Yeah. Uh, but for the X-Men, the biggest comic line at the time, if that failed, yeah, I think studios would have been very apprehensive about trying to get anything else from Marvel off the ground. Because Fox did own the rights to the Fantastic Four, did their version. Yep. For the time, it was what it was. Yeah. I mean, we're waiting to see what this reboot's going to be in the next phase. And that's where we're really excited to see what the X-Men reboot's going to yeah. be. Yeah. Because now it's going to be under the Kevin Feige banner. Mm-hmm. We don't know any casting. No. We, we, there's a lot of wild fan casting that is going around right now. Yeah. So it's really uncharted territory where this franchise is going. But the good thing is Marvel is going to take a renewed interest to it. Because remember, when Marvel didn't own the rights to the films, that's when you saw the comic line start dropping a little we'll bit. So they basically all but stopped. They all but stopped, and they really tried pushing the Inhumans. Yeah. Which nobody was really adamant about i'm sorry i'll say let's not forget when they really wanted the rights to fantastic four back uh they decided to really tie the hands of the movies uh, fox movie studios and put the fantastic four in another dimension yeah they really made a point to say if we can't promote them we don't want to do anything with them or no i'm sorry that was the x-men sorry Wrong, wrong uh, team. You know, they, they took the X-Men and put them in another dimension. Oh, yeah. I mean, they definitely have made the presence felt that for their movie franchise and how Marvel Comics became a comic company that made movies. Mm-hmm. And then they evolved into a movie company that makes comics. Yeah. Now that the Fantastic Four and X-Men are back home, mm-hmm. it's going to be really interesting to see what the next move is going to be. Because it's going to be a whole reboot. Yeah. I would imagine you're going to have a, a soft origin story. Yeah, I would imagine Nothing over the top. No, I would imagine they get. I would maybe something like Spider-Man in Captain America: Civil War. You know, there are, you might hear whispers of them. You might hear mentions here and there that eagle-eyed and eagle-eared uh, folks might pick up on. Um, but I think they're going to do something akin to Spider-Man in Civil War, where they're already a thing. Because mm-hmm. let's face it, you've seen all these movies of these characters. You know who the characters are. Yeah. You know, we don't need to rehash that again. You know, they're already a thing, and we're going to bring them in. And it will make perfect sense, too. And yeah. They, if, they yeah. Do, if they do the soft reboot, I think it's a good idea. I'll say they've already got a, a way to put the Fantastic Four in the films. The Avengers Tower got sold to who? We don't know. Exactly. And I think we're going to start hearing some more stories about that break. Maybe not this San Diego Comic-Con. No. Maybe New York, if we're lucky. But I would imagine by next year's San Diego Comic-Con, we're going to start hearing something. Mm -hmm. That's my early prediction. But for where the franchise has been this past 20 years, it's been up and down like the comic line, but it has a bright future going in. And if they start borrowing from the Jonathan Hickman storyline, I will be ecstatic. Oh, my God, please. 
How crazy would that be? Oh, yes, please. But let us know what you think. Hit us up on that hashtag. Hashtag ODPH. 20 years of X-Men films. What's your top three? Where do you think the franchise is going? We definitely want to have that conversation. So hit us up. Let us know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Johnny Moose from Excite Wrestling, and you're listening to the ODPH. I didn't mess it up. I thought I would. Right now, back to the guys. Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Pat, what you got for those one-shots? Got a couple things to talk about. Let's uh, do it. First one is some Star Wars news that I am very excited for. Uh, it was announced a couple of days ago that there's a new animated series coming to Disney Plus sometime in 2021. Uh, the article on StarWars.com reads, Today, Disney Plus ordered its next animated series from Lucasfilm, Star Wars The Bad Batch. Uh, Fresh off the critically acclaimed series finale of Star Wars The Clone Wars, the Disney Plus original series will be premiered on the streaming service in 2021. Uh, The series follows the elite and experimental clones of the Bad Batch, first introduced in The Clone Wars, as they find their way in a rapidly changing galaxy in the immediate aftermath of The Clone Wars. So it looks like this is taking place after The Clone Wars has ended, which if for the spoiler alert, for those of you who've seen the series finale, uh, ends after Revenge of the Sith has already taken place, so Empire is in full swing. Uh, Palpatine is ruling as Emperor. Vader is in his suit. So it's going to be very interesting to see where this goes and, and who they bring back and who makes an appearance. Uh, no word on casting and who's going to be in it. All I know is that uh, the composer, Kevin Kiner, who's done the uh, music for Star Wars Rebels and Star Wars Clone Wars, is working on this, and he said it is some of the best work he's done for Star Wars yet. So wow. super excited for that. That's some praise right there. Yeah, no, uh, it is being produced by Dave Filoni, of course. Oh, the, your guy. Uh-huh. Uh, it is uh, also Athena Portillo, who worked on Star Wars Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels. Uh, Brad Rao, who worked on Star Wars Rebels and Star Wars Resistance. Uh, Jennifer Corbett, who worked on Star Wars Resistance and NCIS, with Carrie Beck, who worked on The Mandalorian and Star Wars Rebels. Uh, it is, and co executive producer is, excuse me, uh, Josh Rimes is producer, worked on Star Wars Resistance. Uh, and then, uh, super excited for this. Cannot wait. No, it sounds amazing. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty amped up about this yeah, now, too. Super excited. Uh, some rumors. Uh, more Star Wars news rumors here. And to quote uh, Hawkeye in Avengers Endgame, don't do that. Don't give me hope. <laughs> uh, thing came across from a Twitter timeline today. Uh, according to LRM Online, uh, we might be seeing a, a former Jedi uh, or a former actor uh, appear in the Kenobi series. Hmm. Uh, that being one Hayden Christensen. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh-huh. Yeah, so the headline reads, Hayden Christensen has signed on for Kenobi series, and it's a big role. Uh, the article reads, it was only a matter of time for this deal to get done. We here at LRM can safely say that Hayden Christensen will be reprising his role as Anakin Skywalker for the upcoming Disney Plus Kenobi series. Our source shared with me, that me being the author, not, mm. not myself, uh, that the deal is done and Hayden Christensen will be coming back to the Star Wars franchise. Uh, the hope was to have the deal done and announce it for Star Wars Celebration. With Star Wars Celebration on hiatus until 2022, this news will be announced at a later date closer to the beginning of filming. So this is very surprising, very shocking. Huge news, you know, if course, true. Yeah, huge if true. Uh, of course, until, until it's on StarWars.com, take it with a grain of salt because, hey, Star Wars gets you a lot of clicks online. Don't mean that as a disrespect to that site, but just it's a, it's a fact. 
Um, super excited if this ends up being the thing. Of course, you know, Hayden Christensen kind of walked away from the franchise after Revenge of the Sith was said and done with. Didn't really have anything to do with the franchise for the last 14, 15 years. Yeah, I mean, he's... You know, really, it would answer questions about it, but never did any appearances for it. Never came to celebration. Never really did any public appearances for it. Yeah, he's been a ghost. You know, until, you know, very recently, last year, two years ago, whenever it was, when he came to Star Wars Celebration, where he was on stage at Star Wars Celebration with, uh, you know, uh, the the Emperor Palpatine on stage and and was doing appearances and all this and, and had the voiceover line in Rise of Skywalker, so... Huge if true. And I know there are going to be some people, oh, he's terrible. I don't want to see him on the. Listen, he wasn't bad. The The script he was given was not the best. The script is garbage. Yeah, no. Let's, you, let's be honest. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Let's be honest. Jar Jar Binks. Yeah. I'm just going to leave it there. Yeah. But the, the lines he was given, the script was bad. Given, give him a script that wasn't written by George Lucas and doesn't feature I Hate Sand. Yeah. It'll be fine. And, and uh, people are going to be wondering. Uh, if he's playing Anakin Skywalker, I'm going to imagine it's flashbacks, but we'll see. You never know. I mean, yeah. depending on what they want to do with the franchise, but this is huge. It'd be yeah, huge, no, huge to get him back. Huge and, news. And he's he's due. He's due yeah. to come back. Yeah. Uh, and other Star Wars news. I know a lot of people, myself, I would like to see this. I'm not exactly one of the, this needs to happen. Uh, a lot of people are wondering about a solo sequel film, uh, of course, to the yeah, solo Star Wars. Yeah, I've been some talk about this. Yeah, no, I, I would like to see one. Uh, Alden, Alden Einrich, uh Apologies if I butchered that. Uh, did an interview with Esquire magazine, and they brought up that very uh, topic. Uh, he said, quote, no, I don't know anything about that. I mean, you know, I think our movie was kind of the last of the conventional era Star Wars movie release time. Uh, he said, close quote. Uh, but the article does say, but there is a sil- sliver of hope. He has heard some rumors about happenings in the Star Wars world saying, quote, I've heard some stuff, but nothing concrete, close quote. Uh, and then bouncing off of this, sort uh, one of the people I follow on Twitter, very reliable, uh, Jordan Mason of Cinelinks did say, uh, for what it's worth, I've, I'd heard a couple of Dis- a couple Disney Plus series being developed to focus on various characters in Solo. Haven't heard any updates since the start of this year, however, so not sure if those are still being worked on or ever got beyond the idea stage, close quote. So, doesn't appear that anything solo sequel related is happening, but something might be happening behind the scenes. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of uncertainty with that. Yeah, and do we need it? No, no. But would it be the worst thing ever? No, I mean, no, Solo I, was a very good movie. Solo was a fun movie. Yeah, like you, you shouldn't go in there and compare it like with Empire. No, like I think that's a very, very unfair no. argument. But for what it was, it was fun. Yeah, no. If you're a fan of the old Star Wars books, that you will love this. Yeah, absolutely. it's got the same feel to it. Yeah. Uh, moving on, something coming out this Friday that I admit wasn't on my radar, but saw a post from IGN on Facebook that said, hey, if you can't wait for season two of The Witcher, this show might be able to fill your hole. Checked out the trailer, and I got to admit, I'm, I'm hooked. I might give this a watch. Talk to me. Uh, coming this Friday to Netflix is this new series called Cursed. Uh, it, uh, the premise of this is it's a reimagining of the Arth. Arthurian legend told through the eyes of Nimue, uh, a young heroine with a mysterious gift who is destined to become the powerful and tragic Lady of the Lake. Uh, after her mother's death, she finds an unexpected partner in Arthur, a young mercenary, in a quest to find Merlin and deliver an ancient sword. Over the course of her journey, Nimue will become a symbol of courage and rebellion against the terrifying Red Paladins and their complicit King Uther. Hmm. Uh, 
so it's a, hadn't heard of this, but apparently it's a graphic novel that came out in October of 2019, written by one Frank Miller. Oh, okay. Yeah, so checked out the trailer. Looks really good. Looks very interesting. Very, you know, Witcher, Game of Thrones-esque, you oh, know. Okay. Check it out on uh, Netflix's uh, site if you haven't seen it, or YouTube or wherever. Looks very interesting. I'll definitely be giving it a watch. Yeah, I'll definitely want to give this trailer a shot. I mean, Frank, yeah. Frank Miller stuff. Could be great. Could not be. Yeah. No. This looks. This looks very good. Yeah. I'm definitely excited to check this out. Yeah. Uh, and some movie news that I'm gotta admit, happy to see it finally happening. But I'm still kind of gun shy on this. New mutants. No. <laughs> uh, no. Listen. Side note. I'll get to my other one. You bring that up. There's a possibility New Mutants might actually be able to come out on Hulu or Disney Plus. Okay. Uh, saw a thing on Twitter the other day that because uh, Trolls World Tour never came out in theater. It's not going to come out on HBO because of the legacy deal I guess Universal has with HBO. Right. So it's going to be able to come out wherever the hell they want it to. So it appears that if a movie doesn't come out theatrically, it's not held to any legacy contract. So, oh, wow. That's a big loophole. You know, that the studio might have with a site. So a la Fox with the, the uh, X-Men movies. Mm-hmm. So if New Mutants never sees a theatrical, if if I'm reading this right, and I, uh, you know, I admit I'm not a legal scholar, I, I'm not a lawyer, so I don't, and I haven't read the the contract on the, any of this. If I'm reading this right, it appears that New Mutants, if it doesn't come out theatrically, and let's be honest, it shouldn't at this point because it'll be the lowest grossing X Men movie of all time. Just guessing. Yeah. You know, if it doesn't come out theatrically, they might be able to dump it on Prime Video on demand. You know. Prime Video on Demand, a.k.a., you know, what you get off your TV, uh, or dump it onto Hulu Disney+. Plus. Well, I tell you what, at this stage, anything's possible with yeah. that movie. Just, yeah. just the fact that if I actually witness it, I'll call it a win. Yeah, uh, but back to my original one. Movie that's been long rumored to be happening based off of a video game franchise I am very much a fan of, uh, but I will admit, it's a you know, they're adapting a, a movie off of a video game, so a little trepidatious. Uh is the Uncharted movie appears to be finally getting ready to get oh, okay. getting filmed. Uh, this, of course, starring Tom Holland as the title character of Nathan Drake and also starring uh, Mark Wahlberg as his friend uh, Sully. Uh, it does appear that it's getting ready to be start filming. Uh, originally, everyone thought it was going to be, it had started filming because Tom Holland took to his social media and uh, to mark day one uh, playing Nathan Drake as the Uncharted movie looked to enter production. However, Sony representative has uh, confirmed to IGN that the production on Uncharted movie has not started yet, but preparations are underway and they're hoping to start soon. So this movie has been in development hell for God knows how long. You know, seven directors, umpteen dozen actors in in, in co-stars, but does appear to finally be getting off the, the ground. We'll admit if you play the video games, they play like a movie. It's very much a modern. Indi- That's what I've heard. It's like modern indie. It's a modern Indiana Jones. You know, Indiana Jones one. He's looking for uh, the Ark of the Covenant. Uncharted one. He's looking for uh, El Dorado. Mm-hmm. You know, second one. He ends up finding the Tree of Life. He ends up finding Shambhala. You know, very much in the same vein. A lot of scenes from uh, that video game franchise play out like movies. Mm. So on paper, you like. It should work. It would make a great movie. But as we know with history, video games to movie, not always the best adaptation. So I'll admit, Mark Wahlberg, good actor. Tom Holland, good actor. 
still, until I see a trailer, I'm very skeptical. Yeah, trying to pull that off from the video games is always a little tough. Mm -hmm. But the casting is good, though. Yeah. So we got to just wait and see. Yeah. Uh, Also, in some announced news, uh, coming to HBO Max, there will be a spinoff TV series from Matt Reeves' The Batman. Ooh. Yeah. That's uh, right. uh, note, Note, I say, coming to HBO Max. Notice there's nothing else after that. Uh, it is going to be, uh, the series is going, no title yet, but it appears the series is going to be focused on the members of the Gotham City Police Department, and it'll be exclusive to HBO Max. So give, that'll be real interesting. Give me Gotham Central. Ooh, okay. That's what I, I I'm going to make an unofficial ODPH prediction. I think they're going to be taken from that mm-hmm. for this. And if you've ever read, the, the comic is excellent. Like, I haven't mm. read it in a while, but I, like, I almost forgot about this getting announced because it's been a couple days. Yeah. Gotham Central can be pulled off on TV. You don't need Batman. You don't. Sure. You can definitely borrow from the Rogues Gallery a little bit if you want to. Sure. But it's it's a straight up cop story. Yeah, I and, mean, and it it appears to be borrowing a little bit from the Gotham, the Fox TV series a little bit because Justin Kroll from Variety uh, said, "quote No idea if Pats will make an appearance. Uh, be it Pats being Robert Pattinson uh, make an appearance. But what I have learned is that the, it is." Uh, to be set before when the Batman is set. So it's a prequel to the Batman uh, and we'll dive into how Gotham became corrupt and infested with criminals. So at least in, in terms of concept and overall, like short synopsis, it, it appears to be borrowing a little bit from Gotham. Yeah, I could definitely see that. And yeah. it, like I say, it'd be smart for them to do something like that, but if they wanted to speed it up the timeline, yeah. like I say, it plays into the factor of Gotham central. And like I say, it's a, Gotham central is a, is a straight up police book. Mm-hmm. Uh, just dealing with how the officers deal with the insanity of Batman's world. Mm-hmm. It's it's a great read. I highly, I highly recommend it. Yeah. But to see where this is going to go on TV, I mean, that's how it reads to me, especially with a lot of the stuff that Matt Reeves is, because he's producing this. Yep. You know he's going to have some influence on it. You know he's borrowing a lot from classic Batman oh, yeah. stories. Oh, yeah. I'm not doubting we're going to see this, so fingers crossed. But, man, th- yeah. I'm excited to see this. And note, this is going to HBO Max, not DC Universe. Yeah. Because I think the writing is on the wall, yeah. unfortunately. So another so. nail in the proverbial coffin. Well, at this stage, as long as the shows are still getting produced yeah. by HBO Max, yeah. I'm okay with it. Yeah, I mean, they're kind of saying what's going to happen without saying what's going to happen. Because, yeah. I mean, you just look at Stargirl moving off DC Universe to CW. Mm. Uh, this Batman, you know, Gotham City Police Department series, HBO Max only. I, I honestly, at this point, the only thing left on uh, DC Universe is Titans. If they decide to do another season and Young Justice, yeah, I believe both are in pre-production or right. were uh, previously to yeah. COVID. Do- so Do- I don't know the current status right Do- now. Though. Doom Patrol is airing on both HBO Max and Dis- DC Universe. So you got like three things left on DC Universe. Yeah, I mean, if they decide to get absorbed in an HBO Max movie, we've we've talked about this in previous episodes. At this yeah. stage, I'm okay with it. I just yeah. want to see what is the future going to be because mm-hmm. if they just go to strictly a comic service yeah it's not the worst idea but if you can still bring a lot of that programming to mm-hmm. hbo max yeah i think you can definitely do something and especially the one thing I, I i can't stress enough about the dc universe i mean if this is it they show that you could take non superman mm-hmm. batman wonder woman characters and make them work and make them viable franchises the fact that we have a doom patrol series let alone two seasons now, is truly astonishing. Mm-hmm. I love it. Doom Patrol is on point. And like I say, I haven't been reviewing too much because the schedule was a little crazy this week, but I did see this past week's episode. It is fantastic mm-hmm. and really covers a lot of ground too. So yeah, 
you know, like I say, if the production work keeps up, I'm I'm okay with it getting absorbed. But with yeah. HBO Max, with everything they have lined up too, because yeah, we, yeah. we haven't heard anything about Green Lantern. Nope. Haven't heard anything about Strange Adventures yet. Nope. Even though the comic is just coming out, I know a new issue is hitting stands today. Mm-hmm. The transition is happening. So yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. it's now time to accept it. And we'll obviously, if it's going to be the end of the DC universe, we'll be covering that on the show when that happens. Yeah. But. Big news for the Batverse, though. Oh, yeah. Big verse. Yeah, and sticking with the, ba- the Batverse, I guess you could say. Uh, CW has found its new actress to play Batwoman on the CW show. Right. They have casted actress uh, Javisa Le- Leslie, uh, who you might know for, uh, and was most recently in the CBS series. I believe it was CBS. Uh, God, God friended, friended me. me. Uh, she'll take over. Uh, CW's official description uh, for the character, she's going to be playing the character Ryan Wilder. Mm-hmm. Uh, CW's official description reads, Ryan Wilder is about to become Batwoman. She's likable, messy, a little goofy, and untamed. She's also nothing like Kate Kane, the woman who wore the bat suit before her. With no one in her life to keep her on track, Ryan spent years as a drug runner dodging the GCPD and masking her pain with bad habits. Today, Ryan lives in her van with her plant, a girl who would steal milk for an alley cat and could also kill you with her bare hands. Ryan is the most dangerous type of fighter, highly skilled and wildly undisciplined, an out lesbian, athletic, raw, passionate, fallible, and very much not your stereotypical all-American hero, close quote. Love everything about the cast. Yeah, no, love it. Should be great. I'm excited for it. And especially, too, I know there was a little confusion when it was announced that there was a recasting. Mm. The character of Kate Kane is going to be explained why she is gone from the show. Right. So it's not to say that Kate Kane won't come back as a character later. Yeah. This is going to be a brand new Batwoman. Yep. I'm excited for it. Yeah. I can't wait to see this it's, happen. It's going to be different because this has never happened in an Arrowverse show where you've had to recast midway through. So it's it's a different curveball, to, and it's not something we're used to. This isn't the case of... Oh hey, you got some new person playing a character for a couple episodes, and oh, they're gone because the regular person. No, like this person is here to stay. Yeah, so definitely excited to see where Batwoman goes next season. Yeah, I'm I am fully on board with the cast, and I love it. Yeah. So for my one shots, mm-hmm. gonna keep it DC. There was a bit of comic news that get, just got announced today as we were recording. Yeah. And Pad, you sent me the text. I could <laughs> not believe this. I freaked out because. It has been announced that we are getting a Rorschach series on the DC Black Label, which is their Vertigo line pretty much for their superhero characters. Tom King and George Forez mm-hmm. uh, is going to be doing the 12-issue Maxi series dropping in October from the news briefing that I'm reading from uh, DC Comics uh, webpage right now. And it's going to be set 35 years after the original Watchmen. Hmm. And what this means when Rorschach reappears in this timeline is going to be very interesting. Now, if you've read the comic, which I cannot recommend enough, and you've seen the movie, which I will say I love the movie. Yeah. The movie is uh, panel for panel with the book for the most part. And even the most recent TV show on HBO. Mm -hmm. I don't know what interpretation of Rorschach we're going to get. I don't think it's going to be the actual one from the Alan Moore, uh, Dave Gibbons story. Right. Yeah, uh, it's possible, but I don't know where they're going to go with this. I think it's going to be something to be excited about, though, because Tom King, everything he does is awesome, is amazing. Like, like I say, I, I can't recommend his Mister Miracle enough. His vision, I mean, his run on Batman, enough said. Uh, like I say, everything about this, and especially where he's going to go with the character. 
and to be given the character to even work with. Mm-hmm. I mean, is DC does not exactly let everybody play with the Watchmen universe. No, so there's a reason that in comics, by and large, it went untouched for so many years. Right, because it's it's a class. It it might be the greatest comic book story ever. Mm-hmm. It might be in some people's eyes. It is. It's it's. This is a very good debate. But it ranks on Time Magazine's 100 top 10 list. Yeah, 100, 100, about 100 the, best books of the 20th century. Yeah, not top 10. It's top 100 of the century. But uh, there's a lot of 10s in there. So, But that being said, I'm super excited about this. Yeah. Uh, news blew me away. I saw the, the, the promo for the cover. That looks amazing. And where they're going to go with this, I mean, the character Rorschach is very, very compelling. Yeah. This is going to be a fun read. I cannot wait to pick it up at the comic book shop. So definitely want some more information about that. Head over to DCComics.com. Jump on social media. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of debates about this. So definitely stay tuned for that. Mm -hmm. Man, this was some news that just completely rocked me. Because, I mean, right now with DC, they're definitely coming out with some strong material. At the comic shops this week, Dark Knight's Death Metal number two is out. You know my love affair with Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo's run. So I'm super excited about seeing what they got coming there. Nightwing's out, 72. So they're tying a little more with the Joker War because that's happening. Strange Adventures, talking about Tom King. Yeah. Number three is out at the store. So like I say, they have a lot of books coming out. And on the Marvel side, too, they have got some good stuff coming out as well. They have the new Amazing Spider-Man 44 is coming out. And Empire number one. So... Like I say, they have a lot of good books that are hitting the store. If you want some more comic information, though, I can't stress enough. Go ahead over to Cheers the Comics. Shout out to Brian. He does the Wednesday pull every week. And I got to remember one book is out, too, this week. Uh-huh. Savage Dragon 250. Wow. Yeah, for being one of the original Image Comics, Eric Larson's crazy story about a dragon... That becomes a police officer, and we're like the the the, yeah. the journey that it has been. The fact that we're at 250 for an image comic. Mm-hmm. Like I say, I think Spawn's the only one that's beating them right now. Probably, but everything else. I mean, just to see where Image has been since. I mean, they came out mind blowing. So, for more information at your comic book shops, head on over to your local comic shops. Go check out what they're doing. And obviously, if you want some good podcasts, I can always recommend them along with the ODPH. We try giving you a lot of the comic news to talk about, but I can't recommend Cheers to Comics enough because, like I said, Brian really goes through the playlist. He'll give you everything you need to know about. It's good times at all. So, definitely support your local comic shops. That being said, the music you heard on this edition of the ODPH podcast is that of Shout at the Robots. They have a lot of stuff going on. Where do you find out about Shout at the Robots, you ask? Well, ochodoropalear.com and check out the music section where you can also find out about Fair City Fire, Floodlands, Honker, Walking Distance, Second Suitor, Tom Jolo, Yard Party, the list goes on and on and on. Great bands that you should be supporting, so definitely go over, check it out. And also on the ODPH website, you can check out the ODPH directory. We have links to Tom from Off the Cuff Gaming, who also has got some articles about the Power Rangers on thathashtagshow.com. He does do some writing for them. He's got a lot of news about the Power Rangers, so if you want to go over there, check it out. We'll give them a plug, too. So it's thathashtagshow.com, one word. And go check over what Tom has been doing uh, in between his time on Final Fantasy VII Remake. Also on the ODPH directory, you can check out everything going on with Excite Wrestling. You can check out organizational links to supporting Black Lives Matters. You can go check out voter registration because the voting 
it's coming up in November, folks. So definitely make sure you're registered to vote. And you can also check out our amazing pod groups that we are in and the pod chaser list representing them. So shout out to pod nation, shout out to Legion independent podcast, shout out to the apocalypse community, which is doing a pod raid this week of cheers to comics. Like I said, I recommend them. So you should go do it, drop some reviews, drop some subs, do everything to support that show. Cause it's an amazing show. And you can also check out everything going on with hashtag six or seven podcasts and alternate reality radio. There's so many pod groups we were in. I'm sure I'm probably forgetting one. So if I did, I apologize. But hey, that's why you go over to the list and you go check it out. And on that list, you said you go check out everything going on with 8122productions.com. Everything going on with Rich, Ron, and hashtag Big Night Cool. Still on Twitter pad. Oh, boy. Still not stopping. And you can check out everything going on with them and their Patreon. Uh, Patreon.com slash 8122productions.com. $1 gets you in the door. $3 gets you a comfy seat at the table. And you can hear everything that's going on with them and Mike C. from HorrorZone607. So much going on the ODPH directory that you can find on OchoDoroParleyHour.com with links to Twitch.tv slash 607podcast2. I got to remember plugging that. We were doing the stream until Mother Nature stopped us Saturday night. Yeah. And we got some more stuff coming down the wire so you want to stay tuned for that drop a follow and just follow everything that's gone on the odph and you do, you do that on ochoduroparleyhour.com <sighs> one breath that was there my you friend go. Whew. and i don't do that rehearsed either that's nope. all top of the head too so that being said that's all i got for this week so for the one and only padawan j 49 days still no app on roku or amazon fire sticks uh for hbo max gotta add a new one to the list gotta add a start a new count uh peacock tv came out today that's nbc universal's streaming service oh they're not on uh roku or amazon fire as well so i'm gonna have two counts going how uh yeah i'm wondering the same thing but regardless 49 days in still no app on roku or amazon fire stick uh, for hbo max almost 24 hours in nothing for peacock tv that's egregious. Uh huh. How do you how do you drop a, a, a streaming service and you're not on two of the biggest platforms? The two biggest streaming devices on the planet, not on it. <sighs> I have a headache now. It's causing me headaches because there's stuff on HBO Max I want to watch, but I can't use it on my Roku. Yeah, I just watch mine on my Xbox. Yeah. Oh, that's awful. That's I have to go watch something now to cheer me up. I'm your host Ken. I'm thank you as always for listening to the ODPH podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. See you next time. 